Hi there, I'm Dan Jones, and this is my podcast, Climate Scientist. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for accessing us, however you have uh, gotten access to this little bit of audio. Here I have casual, long-format conversations with people whose work intersects with climate in some way. Uh, that could be oceanographers, atmospheric scientists. It could even be social scientists, depending on how their work intersects with climate. Um, I've basically tried to be very broad with that term, and I've tried not to limit myself. I'm an oceanographer myself, and so uh, my guest pool is weighted a bit in the direction of oceanographers because that's my network, that's the community I'm familiar with, but I am branching out. Um, this episode, though, I did talk to an oceanographer, so this episode is not an example of me branching out, but it was a very nice episode and a very nice chat nonetheless. Um, so this for this episode, I had a conversation with Caitlin Naughton, who uh, she is an oceanographer, an ocean modeler, who just joined the British Antarctic Survey a few months ago after finishing up her PhD in Australia. So we had, uh, you know, there's no structure or format to these conversations really, but usually we'll start out by talking about science and then end up talking about personal things. But for this conversation, they ended up flipping the other way. We talked about personal stuff a lot up, uh, up front in the beginning, and then we transitioned into talking about her scientific work for kind of the second, I don't know about if it's, I don't know if it's the second half necessarily, but for the second part of the show, for sure. Um, she has done a lot of nice work on, uh, ice shelves and uh, putting ice shelves into ocean models. So we talk about that. And she's had a really interesting journey. She's born in New Zealand, but she spent time in Canada, spent time in Australia, and now the UK. And she likes to say that she's on a tour of all of the large Commonwealth countries. You can find uh, Caitlin uh, at Caitlin Naughton on Twitter, which she just started recently, um, but uh, partly under protest, I think. She was kind of grumbling about starting it. Uh, and I really want to mention her very nice blog. Uh, she has a very nice blog with lots of uh, excellent science content on there about her work and about her life. And that is called climatesite.org. Uh, like you see it, climatesite, you see it, you know, S I G H T.org. Um, yeah. And by the way, you may have come to this podcast via this direction, but the podcast has a Twitter as well, at ClimateSciPod. So if you have comments about the show, thoughts, questions, suggestions for guests, uh, things that you'd like to see, please feel free to send them to me at ClimateSciPod, or I also have at Dan Jones Ocean on Twitter. Either one of those will work. Um, I check those reasonably frequently, so I should see those. Okay, I think that's it. No rambling today. Let's just go ahead and get into my uh, very enjoyable conversation. I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy it with uh, Dr. Caitlin Naughton. Here we go. Try not to be rude and look at this too no much. No worries. I've been, more, I've been more paranoid lately about, After. about that. <laughs> and it's time Sorry, yeah. my stomach is grumbling and I I hope it isn't getting picked up by the microphone. Do you want a snack or anything? Are you okay? No, I just yes, make just some sounds sometimes. Some sounds. Mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be that sensitive. I think that's, that's one good. of the things yeah. that will get compressed out, you know, of the, I hope so. of the audio. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it'll be... But I found what works with GarageBand is if you just if you restart the Mac before mm -hmm. oh, you start yeah. recording, close everything else. You can only have GarageBand open, yeah, it, and then um, it won't. 
crash. Right or at least that's yeah. been my experience so far is that if you do that, it's totally fine and it's able to just keep rolling. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and you said you you kind of know, it's already going, you know, it's already like rolling. Yeah, it's fine. And we, we talked about yeah, this the other day. Yeah, we just start. How, yeah, yeah, you just kind of have this, you roll into it and then neither one of us knows when it really starts because yeah. we could cut it at, you know, we can cut it at some point yeah. before or after or whenever. So it's I think kind of it's nice like less stress, stress, stressful, yeah. like, like that. I hope so. Yeah. That's the hope anyway. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you're here. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, I've really, really been enjoying kind of doing this podcast. And when I say enjoying, I mean like I, I gotten a lot out of it. I hope that, yeah. you know, that my, I seem to have an audience and they seem to be getting something out yeah. of it too. Oh, so nice. It's exciting. So I appreciate everyone's time. I appreciate your time. So yeah, thanks, no worries. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for yeah. being here. Um, and you know, I think it's one of these things where um, there is so much kind of content out there. That, you know, one approach you could take to that overwhelming tsunami of content is to just say, well, okay, there isn't anything I could add to that. Mm -hmm. But what has happened is that everyone's trying to fill these rather small niches. You know, you find yeah. just the right little... <laughs> we have like, a very small niche. Yeah. <laughs> Conversations with climate scientists. <laughs> yeah, climate-relevant yeah. scientists. Yeah. But, you know, there are folks... Folks who want to hear those conversations are out yeah. there and they're listening. When I was a student, I would have really, really wanted it. Um, yeah. Now I, you know, most of my friends are climate-related scientists, mm. so I don't need to seek out inter interviews. Um, yeah. But. Um, well, they can, yeah. you know, all, all sorts of things can come up, so it's not just... You don't just kind of science. Yeah, stuff. it could be science and it could be life stuff and mm -hmm. it could be just whatever we feel like talking about. Really, you know, there's yeah. no constraints on uh, what we do or don't talk about. As far as I'm concerned, it's I think really it's, up to just what you're happy with. Yeah, I think that's a good s s s style. I mean, if it's a science podcast and you only talk about s science, you sort of start to get this image of scientists as like robots and yeah. you know knowledge on sticks and, yeah yeah <laughs> that's right yeah brains knowledge on, on sticks brains on sticks yeah yeah Co little computers little yeah. robotic computers Against that you just instead of like a a, a fully rounded um person yeah mm -hmm. that's right i read some thoughts on twitter though about the other side of that is you know don't be afraid uh, i totally you know i agree with you I agree with what you said just mm -hmm. now, yeah. but also kind of don't be afraid to use your kind of title and your kind of expertise yeah, you know, when yeah. it's appropriate. No, I recently just got a new title since my PhD wasn't totally wrapped up when I started at Bass. It was like, it was, um, um, it was being examined and, uh, I couldn't say I had a PhD mm. um, until it was examined and I did some revisions and it was all, um, it was all signed off. Mm. Um, I was able, able to start my postdoc in that sort of interim stage. Uh, but as of about a month ago, it is all totally done and I am doctor which is nice really cool I get yeah. very excited about filling in <laughs> paperwork 
congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. You earned it. You earned it. Yeah, Doctor Naughton. Doctor Naughton. Yeah, great. I like it. Yeah, I like. I'll admit. I mean, I like having you know that title on like you know bank cards and mail and stuff like that. They don't do it as yeah. much in the U.S., but here in the U.K., they're really good about putting your title yeah. on things. And. Yeah. No, you could criticize it as being pretentious, I guess, but I don't, I don't know. I worked really hard for that, and uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with using your your title that you've earned. Now, I don't know. Maybe a couple of doctors talking about that. Maybe that doesn't sound very sympathetic, but I well, think... I've also had some really interesting conversations about this with some of my... Some of my... My, um... Um... Uh, female colleagues uh, mm-hmm. saying that since doctor is a gender neutral title it's sort of to their advantage like if they're introduced over email as say doctor not in the and there isn't um and there isn't a a, a first name mm-hmm. mentioned that people take them more seriously uh, <laughs> uh it's sort of unfortunate that that you have to do that to get taken or that that has that effect yeah you would hope that it wouldn't matter we'd hope but, it wouldn't but it totally uh, still yeah. does oh. yeah that's so frustrating uh, it must be especially i mean it's so frustrating as uh, someone who's super privileged and looking at it from the outside yeah. so I haven't had to directly experience it it must be yeah. you know doubly frustrating for someone who's actually having to you know to, to live it have you do you mind if I ask have you run into that much or do you have personal experience um, with that kind of gender bias or nothing I think I've been pretty lucky um nothing liked really obvious has has mm. has happened but there have been a couple times um when I sort of felt like people underestimated me Mm -hmm. when they first met me. I don't know if if it was um, because I'm female or because I was a student or young or whatever, Uh, but I don't know, I just sort of got the sense that they sort of brushed, brushed brushed me off and uh and then when i i told them what i was studying and the research i was doing and um you know the the sort of skills i had you could just see their ex their ex uh their ex their expression uh totally shift and go go you're studying that like you're doing model development you could tell like they had they had assumed I wasn't Mm. um that sort of student and it's only happened a couple of times uh but yeah I guess some of those things some of the gender bias things like you mentioned, that you might not see them necessarily. They could be something happening on a large statistical scale. Yeah. Like the there was this paper I talked to the lead author on the last podcast, Heather Ford, mm-hmm. and she wrote this paper with uh, Cameron Brick and a couple other colleagues about the uh, imbalance in 
speaking opportunities for oh, okay. uh, men and women at the AGU fall meeting. You know, they, right. have, they have all of the data for yeah. here are all the session conveners, here are all of the mm -hmm. abstracts, and they ask questions like, well, are, uh, are men disproportionately more likely to get a talk if they ask for it versus right. women? And yeah. there were a lot of conclusions, there were a lot of things that came out of that study um, that suggested that, yeah, there are some big-scale kind of uh, structural statistical mm -hmm. biases, uh, unfortunately, and it's, uh, it, so I guess it can be kind of hidden like that. It can be, you know, happening in a way that nobody knows unless somebody like Heather, uh, you know, like Dr. Ford yeah, steps yeah. back and does a statistical analysis like that, yeah. so that's why you I mean, on a case-by-case case basis, you're never totally sh sure if... Yeah. If you're being treated differently, unless somebody just says something horrible, you know, just out of the <laughs> of your gender, which yeah. has also happened, but oh, not, really? a lot. not a lot, um, not a lot, not a lot. Mostly, it's you just strongly sus, strongly sus, 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 strongly suspect um, you're being, I don't know, sort of dis dismissed. Or whatever. You never mm -hmm. really. You can't confirm know. it. Yeah. But it's when you when you zoom out and you look at the at the statistics and stuff, and you say, "Oh no, some thing is going on." And it's for people who it can happen to people who are perfectly well. Everybody involved could be perfectly well-meaning, but these kind of subconscious biases yeah, are yeah. just so deep and they're so ingrained somehow yeah. for whatever reason. That you have to actively work against them to get rid of them. Like it's not enough to be aware of them or to even mm -hmm. say, "Oh, I'm I'm a decent person." Yeah. Because I, therefore, therefore, therefore no, everything's you, fine. You have to actively work against it. You might be a perfectly decent person. It's yeah, just yeah. that some of these biases are so inherent. Like I said, that you have to you have to do the work. You have to push against it. You have to you know check things and make sure mm -hmm. that you're inviting you know men and women in a proportional way and in a fair way. And uh, mm -hmm. there's lots of other areas where that applies, and I'm I'm certainly not an expert in that, but I've been I've been trying to like li just listen more because yeah. I've been trying to just take in information and try to digest, you know, perspective about gender imbalance and gender, uh, you know, inequality and the experience in, in science and just in life in general. Because it's, I'll admit, like it's actually it's I found it pretty hard to fully kind of internalize it. I'll probably never be able to fully mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. it and internalize it because it's not something I've experience directly. I can try all day to empathize and I think I've I think I've made some progress. I think I can get mm -hmm. there. Yeah. But you know, unless it's happened to you, unless it's like happening yeah. to you in your skin, it can be harder to put a thing to, to, to pinpoint it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may not get the full emotional sense of what it's like to have extra barriers to overcome. Uh, extra like, oh well, I, I may have to overcome this person's perception that I'm yeah. not a serious scientist because they, you know, have this uh, ancient, yeah. uh, ancient and possibly subconscious world view, this kind of bias. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I've been trying to listen and digest. So I really, I guess the only reason I'm saying that is I really appreciate when, uh, when you know, people, women especially, put information like that out there. It's actually super mm. helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, please, don't be, don't be embarrassed about doing that. Please put it out there because I need as much of that information yeah. as I can get. Uh, I think I said to Heather Ford last week, I said, well, ring, ring the bell. Keep ringing the bell because uh, <laughs> just keep doing that because, you know, we need to hear it. Um, so, yeah, this, um, 
So you arrived at Bass just a couple months ago now. Yeah, you haven't been here um, very long. Right after Easter I started yeah. and it's now midwinter today as I just read all my <laughs> emails, all the statements. Um, do you see politicians are sending in messages to all the Antarctic research researchers on midwinter day. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, midwinter <laughs> before. Southern hemisphere mid yeah. midwinter. So, yeah. so yeah, um I guess I've now been at Bass for about about two and a half months. Yeah. Yeah. Have, and had you spent much time in the UK before? Um I spent a week in the UK. Okay. Yeah. And then I moved here. <laughs> and I was in the country for about three weeks before I started. Right, okay, work. yeah. I can yeah. sympathize with that. I uh I hadn't even been to Europe before. I moved yeah. over and, here. And you moved and over. Moved. <laughs> I'm like, let's do it. Okay, let's yeah, go. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is the only way I'm ever going to see Europe is if I yeah. take a job and yeah, right. come over and just be here for some time. How long uh, have you been in the UK? Five years, for five almost. Five years, okay. Yeah, wow. so it's it's been good. We really enjoyed it. And uh, I may have talked about it before on here, but like, honestly, uh, the only disadvantage has been being really far away from family, family. And, and friends. Yeah. That's really, everything else has been, been pretty good, yeah. honestly. The work environment's good. You know, mm -hmm. we like Cambridge and we like the village where we're living. Yeah. And, uh, we're super close to London, so, you know, we can actually, yeah, like, can go just... to stuff. There's, like, yeah, stuff happening and you, you can go to it. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think you and I talked about that idea at lunch uh, once that, uh, you know, for, it sounds like we had a similar experience where we, <laughs> we grew up in places where we were kind of isolated. It's, yeah. I mean, there were people around it's not like the middle of a desert or something but it, yeah. it culturally a bit isolated in terms of you couldn't easily go to big concerts and shows and yeah you know, it was just a little bit kind of behind that curve and so I'm still excited about living next to London I'm still yeah. excited about like we can go down there and there's stuff happening and you can see you know good and bad plays you can see, <laughs> you can see what's happening right now not that I've done a ton yeah. of that I, I try to go down there when I when I can but uh, I think folks who grow up here might take it for granted they might not realize you know mm -hmm. how nice that is even though mm -hmm. there's frustrating stuff about London you know it can be crowded and it can be you know a, a bit difficult to get around sometimes mm -hmm. but they don't they, they take it for granted that like no you're next to like one of the world's cultural yeah. centers <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, so yeah remind me so you grew up in a few different places right and well yeah it's <laughs> um, when I was fulfilling out my UK UK visa app location one of the questions was oh, what is your permanent country of residence I'm like I have no idea anymore <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> uh, so I was born in New Zealand um, I moved to Canada when I was very young and lived almost my whole life in Canada mm. and then I moved so both your folks are from New Zealand or no no they're not okay. Where where are they from? Uh, 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 um, also Canada. Okay, so Canada, but they were living in New Zealand at the time. Yeah, when you were, we're born, born, and then back. moved to Canada. Okay, I got you. Yeah, and then um, I moved to Australia to do my PhD, and now I'm in the UK. So. So that's almost all the Commonwealth countries, <laughs> except the small Caribbean 
Iceland, so, <laughs> so I reckon I should I should go um, to one of to one of those islands yeah. next. Take them off. Yeah. Take off the yeah. yeah. <laughs> those are all the big ones, are yeah, yeah. yeah, those are all the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> all the remaining big ones, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I have to move to an island. It's part of the list. <laughs> it's, list I'm yeah. doing. I have it's to live. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. to live in the, the tropics for some time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you moved from New Zealand when you were really young, mm -hmm. um, and then Canada when I was. How old was I? Twenty-one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. do you have any family in New Zealand, or were your parents no. there for a short time? Yeah. You were born there. We still have us some. Um, uh, some very some very close uh, fa um, family friends in mm. New Zealand. I mean, I was I was visiting some of them just shortly before leave leave in Australia, and I mean they f feel just like my aunts oh, and nice. uncles and yeah. yeah yeah those close friends can be like family they can be your you know, extended yeah. family for sure uh, it's nice to have that um yeah so i guess are you, you must still be like you're a new zealand citizen yes, I guess. I am. you know yeah yeah and um is, does that country let you do dual multiple citizenships can you have other things most do? most countries do it america which is kind of unusual in that sense no, the, yeah. you can you can the u.s lets you do that as you're well. starting starting to be able to um, I understand. I don't know if this is still still the case, but um, it used to be when you immigrated to the U.S., you had to renounce all other citizenships. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know it from that direction. So yeah. I didn't know it was different for folks who were. Yeah, more if more you, who are citizens if you start there. out with a U.S. citizen uh, citizenship, you can add on, um, but okay, yeah, I learned something today. See, I haven't had to experience that direction, so I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. The only thing it says in your U.S. passport, mm -hmm. you know, if you start there, is it says, look, if you get another passport, if you become a dual citizen, mm -hmm. it will just be harder for us to figure out what to do who if you you're in trouble. If, okay. If you like yeah, need yeah. to get extracted from somewhere, <laughs> it's not as clear whose problem you are. <laughs> so yeah. we're that's the only thing it says in yeah. the passport. So I think you and can. And it is rather complicated at the air at the airport. I mm. you know I just come with my two passports and say this is what I've got. You work out which order I <laughs> I use <laughs> use use. Um, at one stage, I needed to get an S an S step, which is a um, um, U.S. Um, like visitor visitor visa hmm. um, for a layover because I was I was traveling on a New Zealand passport. But then, when I was actually spending a week in the U.S. Um, 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 for a workshop, I didn't need an Estes since I was on my Canadian passport, and Canadians are exempt. Um, 
Mm. Uh, so there's all kinds of strange yeah. loop, loop holes. So you can go to a border and say which yeah. one of these is <laughs> which one do you want? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which one of these? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think Germany. I don't know if they're still this way, but Germany really doesn't want you to have dual yeah. passports either. You can do it, um, but it's difficult. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. These days, it seems like it's probably useful to have you know a backup country, multiple citizens, multiple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> try to <laughs> yeah. you know in case one or one the other goes down. Yeah, just let's say turns into an authoritarian nightmare. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder how that be, could happen. I don't know. Just hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetically. Um, so, so do you have British citizenship? No, you can you can apply for that at the six year mark if you've been here for six years. And okay. at five years, you can apply for indefinite leave yeah. to remain, uh, which is kind of, in, in U.S. terms, that's the kind of green card equivalent. Um, but it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's it's the it's very it's expensive and the application is yeah. gigantic. And, yeah, right. Uh, they want to know everywhere you've been. That's <laughs> everywhere you've in, ever lived. Yeah, yeah, well, certainly in the U.K., uh, mm-hmm. while you know during your time here they want to yeah. know every trip you took outside of the UK they want to just they, they need a, a lot of information they ask for a lot of information well, I needed um, I needed to give what sounds like most of that just applying um, 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 for my UK mm-hmm. UK um, visa this tier 2 thing no actually I'm an ancestor Ancestry oh. visa. Nice, that's helpful. I have uh, 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 Scottish grandparents, um, so I had an easier immigration. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's handy. So it that's. Is. <laughs> so how was growing up in? You probably don't remember much of New Zealand, I guess, because no. you were really young. I have like a couple of what I expect are constructs constructed memories um Mm. but Mm. living in australia i was able to go back a couple of times and oh that's cool yeah do you have any sense of like yeah i I wonder about that a lot because we moved from the u.s when my son was quite young yeah he wasn't quite too there must be something in there but it's like you said it's not going to be a clear memory of oh we did this on this day necessarily but i've always i've always uh, I've always felt a very strong emotional connection to New Zealand, mm. really more than I ever did with um, with with Canada. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, even though you were there a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, neither country um, is. Um, particularly big on what Americans would call page page rheatism uh, oh. but um, I don't know in New Zealand I was like really proud with my <laughs> New Zealand passport I was like I'm a citizen of this country I'm a so proud, um, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is what Americans call page isn't it? <laughs> it was strange. 
I don't, I don't know what that I don't know what that is these days. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, have a, a lot of, yeah. I have a lot of complicated feelings. I'm sure about you that do. At the yeah. moment, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, that's complex. That's com- uh, But New Zealand doesn't seem to do horrible stuff, so that's no, nice. It's, you know, yeah, it's a <laughs> just hanging out, well mannered, and uh, yeah, doing their thing. <laughs> no, just being New Zealand. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, I've never been there. Yeah, I'd love to go. It's. Uh, it seems like a really lovely place, obviously, but um, yeah, I don't know all this international politics and and borders, and it can, I can, I can feel the pull of going down that rabbit hole and just maybe going a little insane. So yeah, maybe, maybe we should talk about, <laughs> about Canada, Canada a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. But um, so how how was growing up in Canada? So you were, um, where were you roughly? Like, and I don't have a super great sense of the geography, but. Mm-hmm. Really? In the middle. In the, in the middle, yeah. It's a city called Winnipeg. Yeah, okay. Which is right in the middle and on the south border. Right, yeah. It's near Chicago, isn't it? Or kind of um, it's about a, a 20 hour drive to Chicago. Mm. I know because I, I did it once in, in, in school. Um, mm. It's about an eight hours from from Minneapolis, hmm. um, north of North Dakota. Okay, right. Okay, you know, slightly in the wrong. Yeah, I had it slightly in the wrong place in my head. But of course, out west and in that part of the U.S. and Canada, the distances just get enormous. Yeah, gigantic. I mean, it, it, it's a reasonably sized city. Um, I guess about eight hundred thousand these days. But there isn't another size civil city, like several days mm. drive on a, on either s- s- side, really. Mm. Yeah. What sort of stuff did you like to do growing up? Was there? I'm, I'm trying to get some sense of you know your pathway between mm. you know your yeah. young life and then ending up in, yeah. in science. <laughs> well, and you don't. I, I should tell you. I mean, it, it, it's really interesting to talk to people about that because. Very, very few people have that kind of story where they're like, "Well, since I was little, I was yeah. doing this particular." That's that's rare. You know, most folks yeah. are more like uh, myself, where it's a bit random. You know, you try yeah. to do this, you you wandered from this to that, you tried mm-hmm. to do this a bit of that, and there's not necessarily a clear story from yeah the science. It's often more interesting than than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was in primary school, I didn't really like science at all um i just sort of saw it as um as um memorizing a bunch of not very interesting (laughs) um um, facts when i was a kid i i wanted to be an author an author i read a lot of books i did a lot of writing um, so yeah, I spent most of my time reading and writing. Oh, okay. and, uh, what, what kind of stuff were you reading and writing? Any, anything or? Yeah, I, you know, I went, I went, th- 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 I went through all kinds of reading stages. Um, I had a sort of fantasy stage. I had kind of a young adult realism st- stage. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that something you still everything. still do? Do you still like to, to write a bit, you know, outside of science or? Um. Well, I don't write write fiction. 
any longer mm-hmm. or not since I was a kid really um I guess I write nonfiction I I have a I have a blog which I started at actually when I was 16 mm, okay. um, and I've been kind of dipping in and out um do you still have that That's still yeah Okay, yeah, send me the link and I can, if you want yeah, to share it, I'll share it on the, you know, on the, uh, when I tweet about this. I yeah, can, right, you know, I will, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, I guess I still um, write in that sense, and I write scientific papers and stuff, uh, so I guess that counts. Do you write, Do you like writing those? Do you enjoy writing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it isn't as, as relaxing as coding. Hmm. Um, <laughs> if anyone would call coding relaxing, I would. Um, well, if you find if it is yeah. relaxing for you, then it's um, relaxing for you. You know, it sort of takes a lot of discipline. You need to say, I will write this paragraph or this sentence or hmm. this section, and um, I need to just get it done. Yeah. And, um, and then you write it, it's like, oh, that was a, a, a lot of work. I should reward myself with a cup of tea, with a cup of tea, <laughs> and then by the end of the day, you're like, I had eight cups of t- <laughs> cups of tea. Yeah. <laughs> but I wrote an, an entire sections, so it works words, out. Yeah, little rewards are good. When I wrote my uh, master's thesis for for math, that's what I would do. I uh, yeah. I, just, I actually stayed home to write it. I would. Um, you know, to stay kind of in my house. I had a big table I was working on, yeah. and I would write. I forget if I did a, a page or a paragraph or something like that, but I would reward myself every, you know, <laughs> I don't know, a couple of pages or something. I'd go watch, you know, one episode of something on Netflix, you know, <laughs> some 20-minute something, you know. Yeah. So that worked out really nicely. I still have fun memories of that yeah. process. Of, but, no, yeah, I would. I wouldn't, um, I would say, I need to write this set section today. Mm-hmm. And I would write it kind of spread out over the day, but yeah. I would take take breaks and uh, walk around the unique outside listening to the music. And so when I listened for the albums um, that I was listening to at that time, it just it, it takes me right back. I was like, oh, I'm yeah. writing my thesis all over again now yeah it's like a strong tie to that time in your life you know, yeah it is it, it, yeah it, that's a, that yeah that's a really nice thing that music can do for you it can put you right back in that context and uh, i love mm-hmm. that i love having those little pathways back into those past memories yeah because sometimes i feel a bit clingy about those memories and those feelings like i i want to hold on to them i guess i'm a maybe i'm i'm a, I'm a what am I trying to say? I'm an emotional pack rat sometimes. I want to keep like... <laughs> I love that. You put that on your office door. <laughs> emotional pack rat. Yeah. Or on my e- email signature. Right? Oceanographer. Emotion- emotional pack rat. Oceanographer. Emotional pack rat. Like I want... Oh, that's so great. <laughs> I want, you know, the those old feelings and the feelings of living in different places. And that's... I think that's part of what's been hard about moving around so much is you end as up you've missing everywhere. Yeah, you miss so, so, so many different places. 
Yeah, absolutely. And when, and when you go back, you might can capture some of that feeling, but the place has yeah. moved on. The place is no longer the same place. Your friends are yeah. not necessarily in the same place in their lives. So, uh, yeah. and, you know, towns can change, people can change, and people move around as well. Yeah. So it's, it's At the uh, same ephemeral. time, you know that you're creating new... Um, new new memories without even realizing it Mm -hmm. you know whenever I buy a new album which I know I'm going to listen to a lot as I'm as I'm listening to it I imagine myself like a year down the the line Uh. listening again and and like one during um, how I will reminisce on the time <laughs> in my life I'm in now. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea that you're imagining a future self, and you know, what is my future me going to be Imagine. up to, and how are we? Yeah. Whoa. It's like you're you have a, a weird kind of communication with that future person in a way. <laughs> Time travel. Yeah, not literally, yeah. but you're kind of just by imagining that, and you know you're doing a little bit of a handshake across time about yeah. you know, like I'm going to think about passing this forward to my future self. No, that's really neat. I like that. Yeah. Um, listening to anything exciting that's mountain, interesting that I don't that mountain, probably don't know about goats. Um, mountain goats. One album at a at a time. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. I, I need to get back yeah. into like listening to music. I sort of am in danger of doing that thing where you you get like you a don't. set of albums and you like just keep yeah. listening to those. Okay. You know what I mean? Like for for yeah. way too long and you kind of lose. So the, the good feeling. thing about the Mountain Goats is that they have something like sixteen studio albums. <laughs> yeah. So you know, <laughs> you're never gonna run out. That, yeah. That can be wild. Like right? You, let's say you like. Have you had this experience where you follow a band maybe like in high school or the equivalent? Oh, yes. And then you drop, you drop off for a while. And you listen to it again. And you go yeah. look them up and they're like, they have 40 albums. Yeah. <laughs> so much to catch up on. <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it, it can be great, right? Because then you have a big back catalog to go explore. Or it can be overwhelming or it can be can be both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I liked a lot of uh, metal stuff and high school that mm. was kind of the mm-hmm. yeah and I, and I still listen to like I still like Deftones that's still a really they're a really creative band uh you know not necessarily everybody's cup of tea but they just mm-hmm. have such a unique sound and a unique way of putting stuff mm-hmm. together that there's just nobody else sounds like them um mm. but yeah I need more I need new music I need to absorb new music <laughs> new yeah. things yeah um <laughs> yeah writing so we talked about writing a bit it's yeah, cool you have that blog. Oh right. yeah, and back to the childhood. So, stuff. so I did yeah. writing, and I didn't like science. I only started liking science when I was in, 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 in high school, mm. um, and so, so suddenly it was interesting, and so suddenly it wasn't such a focus on on memorization um i think a lot of it was i just really liked the periodic table um that sort of appealed to my yeah. obsess- 
massive personality. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, my face Are you is, the same? My face is lighting up right now. Yeah. It wasn't as much for me, but my son loves, loves, loves the periodic table. Oh, fantastic. And he went through a period from, uh, gosh, he must have started at three. Isn't your son like s- six? He's six now, he's yeah. Six. He's six. So and he loves the periodic table. You're does. raising a very smart kid. <laughs> well, I promised that we did not. <laughs> he we, just we did not impose that on him. <laughs> discovered it on. You know, on I know his own. that. Yeah. He, wow. Okay. He, he, I know that you might run into parents in Cambridge who, <laughs> who would impose <laughs> that would, sort yeah, of thing yeah. on their kids, but I promised we did not yeah. impose that on him. He just discovered um, it on his own. Yeah. Well, there was a little app uh, called Toka Lab, yeah. and uh, it, it had a little creature. Uh, a little creature for each element, so every element had, was represented by a little blob that you oh, can that you can play with, and you do experiments on it. Oh. And they're arranged in this this grid, and I you discover. I think you'd like it actually. Yeah, if you I like love it. it. Yeah, I mean, you discover new elements by experimenting on you know the blobs. Oh, have, and like nuclear you know. reactions happen, and you know. <laughs> It's not you get sci- a helium. <laughs> it's not scientifically accurate. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> no, uh, all of these uh, chemical, all these reactions that you have going on are very much just, uh, you know, the kind of chemical reactions that you would have, mm-hmm. like, or very, they're very electron focused. You know, none of these would, okay. none of these are high energy enough to really touch the nucleus. You know, you're burning them and or you're freezing still them. Make you know new elements. It's just supposed to be kind of a, a yeah. fun, playful thing. You know, and yeah. it, it's a cartoon world sort of thing. So there's no yeah. lots the, of chemistry don't have no that's right i think because really it's this yeah. like blobby chemistry world i think you do get the feeling like okay this isn't supposed to be like an accurate representation yeah, of the world this is just a sandbox sus- to play in suspend your disbelief yeah yeah but you know he he loved that app and he uh, really dug dug into it oh, cool. and it's part of why his experience with that app and the his it led to, hold on, let me think of how I want to say this. So he played with the app for a while and got really interested in it. Mm-hmm. And then we just started sharing with him as much periodic table stuff as we could find. <laughs> kind of showing him like, oh, look, hey, that per- structure that you're playing with is this periodic table. <laughs> All of these are the elements and they have, you know, atomic numbers. And you can find them out in the world and you can put them together to make <laughs> molecules. And the whole world is built out of these basic building blocks. And for yeah. a good several years, he got really interested in this. Um, he still is interested. It's the, the intensity of his interest has cooled down a little bit, which makes you know that's that's very natural. Interest kind of come and go yeah. and evolve. It's still there though. It's still in the background. So we just threw as much stuff as we could at him, like in terms of here's a book on the periodic table. Wow. Um, do you know this guy Theodore Gray? No, I don't. Seen? Okay, so I have to show oh, you it, um... Theodore Gray, the Elements book, and there's also a Molecules mm. book. No. Um, okay, I'll have to no, show I you. No, I don't. So he's done some really nice. Uh, photography and video capture. He has a periodic table of the elements in his house, and with that with little samples, samples of each yeah, element. Little samples of Does each element. Does he have all of them? Is some of them you don't want in your house, do you? I think he has most of them. Obviously, he doesn't have the <laughs> you know one one eighteen. He Uranium. doesn't have the. I, I don't. He might not have. The radioactive, the highly radioactive ones. Yeah. I think he did mention that the FBI came by and asked some questions about a couple <laughs> of his samples. Um, he obviously doesn't really? have the, you know, uh, oh, what's the what's the new name for 118? Oganesson, I think, is what it's called. Yeah. What was, was it there, uh, originally? It was just the unknown octium. Yeah, you know, the unknown uh, with all the U's. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they've all been named now. They have official. Oh. You know, those, those have. That happened right. pretty recently, so yeah, the, I, miss, uh, I missed it, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, Oganesson, 
Forovium? I'll have to look up the others. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Quick aside on that. I love the idea that for the super high atomic number elements, you know, 117, 118, yeah. no, that, that they don't exist in the universe. Yeah. There are none of them. But unless, you can make them. Unless somebody is actively making them right this instant, there yeah. are none of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they decay so quickly. That yeah. and, and there aren't reactions going on right now that are energetic enough to make 118 yeah. unless somebody's doing it, you know, down the road at Fermilab or something. Yeah, I don't right. know if that's, I guess that those energies certainly get high enough to make an enoctium, I would think. Um, I don't think that's necessarily their, their objective, right? They're trying to, they're trying to smash, you know, things into their kind of elementary particles. So maybe they're going the other direction. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Alex really dug into this and, and, uh, Part of, okay, so his experience with that app and what it led to it kind of is a part of why when I hear people just, you know, totally bad-mouthing, like, well, don't let your kids spend any time on electronics. They're n- doing nothing but bad yeah, things. It's it ruining your head. It's not it quite as clear. It's simple. As, yeah. yeah. I mean, what they're playing obviously matters, can matter a lot, and what they're doing can matter yeah. a lot. Um, like, it's um, it's um. It's a, it's a medium. It isn't a um, univ- universally one or one experience. Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't really, I'm not an expert on this, so this is just my personal opinion, having, you know, observed my son with this. Mm-hmm. I suspect that the problem often with those devices is not the game that you're playing or it's not what you're doing on them it's yeah. the isolation it's the being yeah, like okay. kind yeah. of off by yourself just in this little electronic world whereas there's reading a be... book is almost just as i isolating and yeah. i spend most of my my childhood just reading books so yeah yeah and no and I, I, i'm not trying to say that isolation is bad necessarily mm-hmm. but i guess that if certainly in those early years if you're not there kind of providing the feedback and kind of giving mm-hmm. them some context then mm-hmm. your kid might feel a bit unmoored and they might feel mm-hmm. a bit like well I don't really know how to put this in a context and how to react to all of this mm-hmm. I don't know I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to make the argument that it could be good to be involved with what your kid's doing and kind of be aware of yeah. what they're doing and to you know watch stuff with them and to maybe even play some of the games with them yeah not necessarily 100% of the time. I mean, like you're saying, isolation is not necessarily, you know, being by yourself, I guess, maybe isolation is too strong a world, a word, but, you know, being by yourself, inter- entertaining yourself. I'm an only kid, so I did a ton of that, yeah. you know, growing yeah. up. And look at me, I'm fine. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah. You're an emotional hot crowd. Nothing's wrong. That's just the start of my list of, of problems. That's just... That's just that's probably like number six <laughs> on the top ten. Top 10 Don't read books, you know. <laughs> That's the take-home message. If you take home, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Naughton says, <laughs> don't read books, kids. That's the, you can make a banner, get yourself a billboard. Yeah. <laughs> don't read books. Look what it did to me. Look what it did to me. No, I don't know. I think, I guess the bottom line is things like iPads, and they're so new, like folks who are parents right now were literally yeah. the first generation of parents to have to figure out oh how do you parent with these things yeah and it's such a massive challenge i mean where do you even start i wouldn't yeah 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's some research, some limited research, but, yeah. and again, this is just from me reading other people's professional opinions. I don't mm-hmm. have a professional opinion myself mm-hmm. on this, uh, that it's kind of too early to say anything. Yeah, because the kids who grew up with this sort of technology aren't grown up. Yeah, that's right. And um, they're op- they're going to have to figure it out, right, ultimately? Yeah. Like, even if yeah. as parents we're super careful about their interactions with technology, once they're adults, they're going to be out in the world with it. Yeah. And they're going to have to make the decisions about how to spend time with that technology yeah. and how to interact with it. It's not going away. They're going to have to, like, figure out. <laughs> Just like yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I guess it's part of our job to help them figure out how to live with that technology yeah. and how to, to do it. Um, so I hope we're doing it right, but I guess we'll find out in what ways we're screwing mm-hmm. up our kids in mm-hmm. 10, 15 years. I hope we'll by the out. time I'm a, I'm a parent, someone else will have worked it all out and I'll just ask Dan, what do I, what do I, what do? I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, only periodic table apps. Yeah, the only <laughs> periodic thing. table apps is all they're allowed. Yeah, it's an iPad full of periodic yeah. table apps. <laughs> Yeah, so you like the periodic table, yeah. so I, I should introduce so, yeah. you to my son. And no, I, I met him um, at the at the castle. That's right. Once. Yeah, that's right. And then he came into Bass um, once, a little while ago, anyway. So you said something about the structure of the table, yeah, the order of it. Yeah, no, no I just interested in it. Suddenly, I liked science, and then there was a couple of years with a great dilemma of what jobs involve science which was like it shouldn't have been that difficult but i mean at at my school anyway there was kind of an assumption that if you're good at science you become a doctor or (laughs) if not a doctor a a pharmacist or a dentist or something Thing in, in the, in the, health care, f- um, f- field. Yeah, and um, that's what people are aware of. Yeah, right? but I didn't radar. really want to be a doctor, mm. or I mean, not, a, not an MD. <laughs> no. I mean, I've always been a slight hypochondriac, so mm. I mean, I would not make a very good doctor. Same here. Would yeah. I? No, yeah. you, you've probably seen me around the building. I sometimes like will not touch the the door handles. And oh stuff. yeah, I'll have, like a napkin or something. Okay, I'm not to, at you know, that, not that level, but I can touch the door handles. I'm I'm capable of it. But if this given a choice and rather, opportunity, rather not. I'd rather not. <laughs> so I don't. All right. Yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm with you there in terms of. I, d- I, you wouldn't I don't. Want to be no, a I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be an MD. I wouldn't yeah, want to deal no, with no, no. fluids no, all day. No. Sacks of fluid. You know, I think I could get used to all the all the guts or whatever. What I couldn't do would be eyeballs. Eyeballs. Like, yeah. There was a stage in my life when I kind of <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> when I kind of so, sort of considered being a doctor since I like sciences and this is what you do if you like science I was like all right maybe I could be a doctor and 
the one thing that just sort of absolutely made up my mind was if I'm a doctor, I might at some stage be faced with the situation where the patient's eyeball comes out. <laughs> and just the slight chance that I would have to deal with an eyeball outside of someone's skull too much was enough to make me say i'm not going to be a doctor <laughs> never never oh so, that's so this what, is why that's i'm an oceanographer really instead because i don't like eyeballs yeah yes does that mean you can't do contacts do you hate the idea of doing contacts and... i'm okay if it's in your skull i do contacts <laughs> i do makeup whatever yeah whatever uh, but as soon as they're out of the skull, then I... Then I'm out. <laughs> no longer interested. If your eyeball's out, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah. yeah. If you're, I like your eyes in your head. <laughs> if they're out of your head, I don't want anyone else to do with this situation. Pretty much. I also want to escape. <laughs> See how I like your eyeballs escape your head? That's, I want to escape. I'm, I'm doing too much of these. I'm doing too many. You're doing too many. Yeah. <laughs> too many. Um, so yes, I um I decided I would not be a doctor, mm -hmm. and uh, the other option seemed to be being an an engineer in yeah. sc in school. There were all kinds of like competitions um, to build a car powered by a balloon or yeah. uh, build something out of paper which can um, stop an egg from breaking mm -hmm. af after a several meter drop and I was so bad at all of <laughs> those contests <laughs> I knew I wouldn't be an engineer in retrospect if, if I had been aware of the, the, the existence of software engineers uh, at that at that time I might have gone, gone that way. down uh, that path um, so yeah I was kind of stuck and and then one day yeah. I just sort of realized you know, you can just be a scientist and study whatever is interesting mm. and get paid. Why didn't I know about this <laughs> earlier? Nobody knows I could about just it. be a scientist. And I don't know. Now I'm sort of su 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 surrounded by people in in academia, and I don't know why. I didn't realize that this job even existed. Yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly by the numbers, there's no question that there are way more engineering jobs and healthcare yeah. jobs than there are science jobs. Yeah, I mean, a school um, um, saying to other students, you should be a professor, you should get mm -hmm. a PhD, is uh, probably not a good strategy. <laughs> strategy. Strateg you're setting them most up for of the students heartbreak. were exactly um but hmm. yeah um hmm. and and um and i sort of sat myself on 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 some some climate science related job um i saw a seminar by a, a professor at the local uni i was 
name is Danny Blair. We still we still keep in touch, and he was um, climate scientist, and and he gave a seminar about all sorts of stuff. It was at a um, it was at like an um, an in an, an environmental science workshop day kind of. Um, and I, I remember um, when he explained how ice cores allow you t to estimate the temperature, the temperature of the, of the air at the time when that snow 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 fell. Um, Again, it's using using isotopes. It's the yeah. periodic table hey, there you go. back. I just thought that was the most f fascinating concept, and it just so, so so sort of struck me during that seminar, and. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing that we can, that we can do. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't end up going in exactly that direction. I'm not an ice core scientist, um, but still, some um, something about using numerical skills to understand the world around around us um, when did the software component start to come in and the programming um, components so come in? I knew I was interested especially in 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 in, in lime modeling um, most I think because I'd seen a couple of animations from model output oh, and nice, it was yeah. really really pretty and I was like oh I, I like did I you like. see Andy Hoggs when he was here yeah did you that talk? those were unbelievable yeah it's amazing isn't it here's the you know on a particular density surface with a, yeah we're going to cut the rest of the ocean out you're just going to look yeah. at one density surface and look mm -hmm. at the properties along mm -hmm. that it's high resolution mm -hmm. you can see all that the little eddies and things and everyone likes eddies yeah yeah but they have, they have like a center for that where he works don't they like it's specifically yeah. for visualization visualizations yeah. Yeah, yeah so you saw an animation and that got you interested in the modeling at the numerical modeling aspect of it yeah and so since i knew i i wanted to somewhere in that sort of direction so i decided to do an undergrad in Applied maths, so I could sort of really get a good grounding in those numerical skills, and then um, and then apply them after. Um, and yeah, so as a requirement of that degree, I. Um, I had to do a computer science course, which I was kind of scared of. I'd always been told that 
computer science was very, very difficult, which I now realize sort of goes back to this gender story. Mm. I, um, one of my, of my friends back in Canada, um, Elizabeth Batitsis, uh, has actually just finished her PhD on understanding the under-representation of, of women in um, undergraduate computer science courses yeah. and all the, the factors which go into play. And one of, <laughs> one of them is that women are told from a very young age programming is difficult and it isn't f it isn't f it isn't f um f it isn't f it isn't f f f um f um for you sort of wow. and um yeah i just That's bizarre. Yeah, I don't know. You wonder where that comes from, and why? Do, yeah. Why? Why do people say stuff like that? Like yeah, I mean, even they... starting st st starting this undergrad course and you know for comp sci one oh one, I had I had people saying to me, "Oh, comp sci is really really difficult." And I started it, and I was like, "It's." maths it's logic it's a slightly different sort of skills to solve solving math problems yeah problems but it's very very similar and if you have the kind of brain that is already sort of configured to work in that space then logic yeah, and... yeah then you can you can find your way around it and yeah know, it might take some so, work and it might not always be super smooth sailing but ultimately you can get there you know it's yeah just it's, it's that how much time and energy do you want to spend doing it you know i, I think probably most people are capable of learning that, that sort of structure, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've all got brains that have yeah. evolved to do abstract stuff and, you know, to, even thinking about the future is abstract and thinking about yeah. the, the past is abstract. That's, yet that's what I our brains do. this perception that something about, about, about programming was, um, was indescribably difficult. But as it turned out, I was at I was the top student in that in that course, which yeah. really annoyed a lot of the, the guys in that course because I had beat them. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so, so I why that's so that's so obnoxious. <laughs> It really, that should not be. <laughs> Do you think they were annoyed about just being not number one? Or was it... Beaten you know? by, by a girl That's or weird. some comp, 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 uh, combination. Again, you never... you never... You never... That's right, we were just talking about that. Yeah, yeah you never know for sure if, if gender is, is a part of it. But you can strongly... Sus 
fact. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, so 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 that uh, so that 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 first year comp sci course was sort of the, the most life changing course in my undergrad. Yeah. I was really good at it. I really liked it. Um, the 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 professor um, asked me to switch majors. Um, That's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I guess that's always sort of been my backup, is if the, at any s s stage I want to jump off the science terrain, um, I'll be the programmer. There's lots of lots of industries and a numerical programming is a really up-and-coming strain of um, development. Yeah, I don't have a good sense of, you know, if one wanted to do that. I don't have a great mm. sense of how to do that. And I my don't really know how you compete with... My husband works in, um, in the software sector and yeah, data scientists are some of the most in demand and best paid um, um, jobs in that sec sector. Yeah, is it tricky yeah. though to like just hypothetically, if you wanted to do that, you know, how do you even start approaching companies and saying, "This is what I am"? Maybe this is more of a problem in in the U.S. because. Um, and I wonder if I'm sure other folks have experienced something similar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm happy to be where I am, and I'm glad that mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad that I have been on this path, and I'm glad mm -hmm. that it's worked out so far. You know, nobody can predict the future. You know, who knows what's going to happen? You know, five, ten years time, uh, mm -hmm. it's just impossible to tell. Um, there's too many variables. <laughs> there's too many factors that lead into that. But in the U.S., I almost feel like, and maybe here, that you have this weird marketing problem. If you're a PhD, you know, how do you start going to company companies and say, "Oh, I could do this useful job for you, or this useful job for mm -hmm. you." I feel like a lot of companies just don't know what the heck to do with you. They look at your background, you know, as like a scientist, and they're like, "Well, I, I don't know what that is." Um, so, do you just have to really lean into the data science idea, and do you just have to try to get familiar with the vocabulary that that particular set of people used to describe the world of data that they're working in yeah um, is it just a kind of matter of you know finding the right person and the right opportunity and finding the right network and working your way in because I feel like just applying to stuff just online probably isn't gonna get you anywhere at least that's well, been my might. feeling maybe yeah. yeah you think maybe it would possibly you might I mean maybe I'm being too pessimistic yeah the way Kevin describes it is um, there's suddenly an an ex an explosion of data available in the world. Mm -hmm. Data on real estate, data on um, on healthcare, all kinds of data, which industry s suddenly has the infrastructure to store and analyze, but 
they don't know how to analyze it. Mm. And so if someone comes in saying, I know Python R and basic statistics, um, those sorts of skills are immensely valued. And it looks like a very low bar f um, f from the perspective of s someone in our research area. I mean, everyone knows at least at least a couple of programming languages and basic statistics in our mm. in our field um, but yeah and I guess there are these uh, I've seen a couple of these programs popping up that their whole mission is to take someone from science to data science mm, okay to, um, yeah. yeah science to data science I think is literally the name of one of them okay yeah. Uh, Pivigo, I want to think is the name. I'll have to look it up. But they they've made it their objective to they will you know take you in as a fellow as a mm. as a scientist mm -hmm. as a PhD scientist and they will teach you they'll give you a project they'll pair you up with a business type project and you will do an application of machine learning or data science in some way to mm. some business relevant case and uh, hopefully after that that will lead to some more opportunities for you. So mm -hmm. it, it must be a, a big enough pathway. To make those in, those organizations relevant and to make them, you know, viable uh, entities. So yeah, there must be. I know that we're produce like as a society, we're producing way more PhDs than there are, you know, permanent academic roles. Yeah. So something has to to change. Something has yeah. to shift. And maybe that's part of what's happening. Maybe that's part of the response is that yeah. you know industry is starting to learn that like people with PhDs these days aren't necessarily so thoroughly institutionalized that they can't do <laughs> anything else, right? That, that, yeah. you know, we, we are well, capable. Speak yourself. Of, uh, <laughs> uh, I might be. I don't know. I've never tried. Yeah. I've never tried to work for yeah. a, a company like that. I don't know. No, I haven't. I'd... Maybe, maybe I'd be horrible at it. I don't know. <laughs> it isn't an option I'm looking at it yeah. at the moment. I'm yeah. really enjoying my time as a scientist so far mm. uh, but it's good to know that, that in a career where getting a permanent job is you know so difficult mm -hmm. um, it's um, it's good to know you always have a backup yeah. which would still use your skills you won't be Bacon gross series. Yeah. <laughs> flipping burgers or something, you know. Well, eventually we'll have burger flipping robots. That exactly. Like that, so, mm -hmm. and well then everyone's to, out of a job. Then everybody's out of a job. And then unless. I, then I don't know what the hell we're going to do. Unless but, you're a programming the robots. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to do something else, right? Because not everybody needs to be a programmer in the world. That's just not. That doesn't sound like yeah. a good setup for a society. But eventually, the only job left will be an AI programmer. Well, what are we going to do? <laughs> this isn't going to work. The robots and yeah. a couple of people who program the robots. And I don't think, you know, the usual kind of economic systems we've developed are, are 
suitable for that sort of situation, yeah. are they? We don't know how to deal with, like, well, there's no more work left to do. Yeah. What? <laughs> what do we do? There's what no work now? to do. Uh, do we still give people money? Do we still try to make them feel bad for taking money? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or do we just, what do we do? I don't yeah, respond do to that. Make, make up jobs. Make up jobs, yeah. yeah. Um, or everyone will be an artist and musician or something mm. and we'll just all make art and mm. music for each other and try to sell it to each other. And rather be a programmer. <laughs> <laughs> Artists and yeah. programmers, yeah. Yeah. No, that's... <laughs> this is a world we're heading towards. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, like, every... I mean, every parent probably is terrified for their kid in terms of how the world is going to change. Cause yeah. Because it's, so, it's so unpredictable. So this is now... I'm I'm at that right age and the point mm. in the parenting process where I'm going, like, what the heck is the world going to look like in a couple yeah. of decades? I don't even know what to tell him. Like, I don't know what... Like, <laughs> I guess get good at programming stuff, but... <clears throat> You know, maybe you'll end up programming our, uh, some of our robot overlords mm-hmm. and uh, helping to patch them up. But yeah, it's um, the uh, it, it is good to have that. Hopefully, hopefully the industry is still like uh, hiring, you know, reasonably like kind of older mm-hmm. people. I guess I've heard right. one problem in the states anyway. Maybe I don't know about here as much, but that like the industry really is only hiring really young kids right. basically yeah because they're often you know they're, they're hiring really young like programming hotshots and getting them yeah right in these prime years when they can stay at work for you know 80 90 hours because they don't have a family which is not healthy and no. that's not yeah. not humane but you know that the companies feel uh, more uh, able to extract <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, productivity from them i guess is, is a possibility uh, or they're just more familiar with the currently relevant technologies because yeah. the landscape changes so, so blindingly fast. quickly yeah. that uh, you know unless you pretty much have to learn constantly if you want to stay you know uh, n- not even ahead of the curve just kind of maybe even, even slightly curve. behind the curve yeah <laughs> to even stay slightly behind yeah, the, the curve, curve you have to keep so fast. yeah I mean ju- so just as an example of that scientifically in the last week um, I've seen two new um, programming kind of packages or mm-hmm. you know models and one of them is this general purpose isopycnal model that just came out of MIT oh really yeah it's supposed to be like a kind of benchmark isopycnal simple isopycnal okay. model it's easy to work with and okay. then another one there's a programming I don't know if you call it a language or what I'll have to look up the name of it but it is designed to be uh, a super simple uh, fluid dynamics kind of solver that you can literally give an equation to. You can just like write an equation um, and like say solve the sim- flow. Symbolic math. That's how it starts. Yeah, you give it like a symbolic yeah. math, math, like an equation and some boundary conditions and things, and you see what kind of flow that leads to. Wow. Um, so it so it sorts out its its own numerical solve, or if it isn't like some some equation with um an analytics solution i guess so i guess um it must do i don't i haven't tried to use it yet so i don't know how it works under the hood but Mm. uh, those two things have so just in the last month i've become aware of those two things and i have two different sets of feelings about those developments you know one set (laughs) is that's really cool and exciting and those feelings are, are valid and fine and the other set of perfectly valid feelings I have is like, oh God, I've got no, more. No, I have to learn this. I've got more stuff to learn. I, can't, I have enough. <laughs> I can't keep up with this. I gotta, yeah. I gotta write stuff. I gotta deal with the stuff I have now. Yeah, so like, yeah. I, I feel like I, 
maybe when you're younger, it's easier to have that appetite for like, I want more and more and more. Give me, I want to learn more and more. And as you get older, maybe you get more responsibilities right. and things. It gets harder to have space in your head for like, I need yeah. to learn a 14th programming language now and well, try to ingest that. Every language is easier than the one before it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Once you've learned one, then you get the kind of basic logic of it. And yeah, uh, especially like moving between MATLAB and Python. Oh, they're you know, very, they're, they're very similar. similar. It's it's very f- funny how much of a rivalry there is, on which I am, I am, I am <laughs> firmly on the, the Python side. Yeah, side. Um, for t- two languages which are very similar, in the end mm. of the, of it all. Yeah, I guess. I don't feel like I'm going to take a hard stance one way or the other because <laughs> I use both of them. It would be funnier if I took the hardline MATLAB hardline stance MATLAB. and we like argued, oh, but well, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. Some of those in the department. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. The only so MATLAB I've been so frustrated lately with. Um, you try to save like vector graphics, and it seems to be li- really bad at it. Yeah. Like you try to save vector graphics, and you get this bizarre thing with white lines yeah. all over it. Yeah. Um, and every now and then I run into that problem, and I can't remember how I fixed it the last time. So I'll do a <laughs> Google search, and sometimes the top response to my Google search is, yeah. is the last time I asked that question. <laughs> and nobody answered it. <laughs> there's some like there's some answers kind of here and there. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I, I think, uh, somehow I've. Uh, it's funny to do that Google search and see something that you have put <laughs> onto yeah, the yeah. web. Oh, I did that. Okay. The, um, there's some answers, but. Ultimately, nobody um, knows a super easy, clean way to fix that. Yeah. And that has pushed me in the Python direction lately. Yeah. Is I just want to make vector graphics and have them exist and yeah. put them in my paper. I don't yeah. want to have to fuss with like, oh, why are there white lines all over my yeah. my, my figure here? Um, so that's been that's been kind of frustrating for me lately. But I, I don't know. I still use both. I still use. They're both useful to me. So um, yeah. Uh, just whatever tools you have around and more tools in your toolbox that's that's a good thing mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah i like mean i can code and map lab i just choose not to yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like a bumper sticker yeah. <laughs> i could it's not the right thing to do yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. do you shouldn't code it um yeah so what was your um what was your kind of dissertation work on is it called a dissertation in australia or do they um, call it a thesis like yeah, over here okay you would say it. they call it a thesis for your thesis yeah what was your work on there yes yeah, so i um in my phd i worked with two different ocean sea ice ice shelf models um one was matt roms which uh getting that set up in in involved a fair bit of model development since okay. it was a new combination of an ocean and sea ice. So you've got the ocean and you've got the ice shelf which is the part that's still attached to let's say the Antarctica, ice the ice sheet which yes. is on land. So it's attached to the land, possibly the ice shelf part is floating Yes. <laughs> and the ice sheet part is over the land. Yes. So and you've then got the sea ice is just ice, out at sea. And then ocean below the ice Mm-hmm. And the, the, the then um and then the sea floor yes um and then the sea ice out in the open water potentially yeah, yeah so yeah. sea ice and ice sh- shelves and ice sheet they sound similar but um sea ice is just f- um um frozen sea 
water. Yeah. Whereas ice sheet and ice shelf started out as snow, which uh, which which compacts to form glaciers and then glaciers interconnect to form an ice sheet and the ice sheet flows out from the continent once it reaches the coast and keeps going it's an ice shelf yeah 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 and the ice uh, shelf you can get icebergs breaking off of that yes calving off of the ice uh, shelf and then (laughs) yes i always hesitate a little bit when i say ice shelf or ice sheet yeah. in my head I'm going I, I want to Which make sure I do the it? right yeah. one maybe we, maybe we could have picked better terms for those because they're too close we need yeah. something else well but still yeah. <laughs> ice sheet ice shelf and icebergs all started out as snow yeah. sea ice started out as sea water that's right and they have different isotopic compositions yes. of oxygen because of yes, that which exactly. is something I know a little bit about because Mike Meredith is here in the department, and that's mm-hmm. a big part of what he does. And, oh, is it? Okay. Um, yeah, and um, didn't realize that. that. That's one of the. If you ever go on a cruise that's scientifically, you know, relevant for him, you might end up collecting oxygen samples, yeah, uh, water okay. for oxygen samples. Um, well, that's be, really interesting. Yeah, and then they mm-hmm. they do the fractionation of uh, how much, how many mm-hmm. heavy isotopes versus. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can break the comp- how much of this is meteoric. You know, came from. The, Snow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So they do that kind of decomposition. Um, okay, so you had this regional ocean model, which is ROMS. That's what ROMS stands yeah. for. Yeah, regional ocean modeling system. And it's got an ice, it's got a cavity, it's got other different kinds of ice. And yeah. you had to do some model development on that. Yeah, since I was um, a new sea ice component, had just been added, um, which is size, which is a, which is a, very widely used sea ice model, um, but this combination had only been tested in the Arctic, so I was the first person to use this combination of 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 models in the Antarctic. Um, so got an awful a lot of things went wrong Hmm. which I had to fix and so yeah quite a lot of my PhD was model development getting this system to behave and look somewhat realistic Um, and um, I was also working with a second model simulating all the same processes which was called FESM. Um, it's developed at AVI in Germany. Um, so FESM, someone else had already done all of that difficult setting up work so I could use it uh, 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 pretty much out of the box um so i did an intercomparison of matt roms and fezzum and also um just with fezzum i did um 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 
future projections of ice shelf melt rates um, out to the end of the of the century. So 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 that uh, sea ice melt rate predictions. Ice shelf. Mm. Ice shelf. <laughs> See, you're too close. Yeah, too close. Yeah. This ice shelf melt rate projections. Sea ice was also in the projections, but. Mm. It wasn't as interesting. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I just literally, the wrong word literally just came out of my mouth. <laughs> okay, so this was under different atmospheric conditions, after different, under different yeah. enclosed atmospheric conditions. So, um, so, so it used the output of cement, cement, cement five yeah. atmospheric projections, um, yeah. and I did some bias erection since cement style m m coupled models aren't often very good in the southern ocean right. yeah 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 i knew that some of them were way too warm down there for example most of them are way too warm mm -hmm. yeah yeah and this is the cement 5 suite is the set of model runs that have been used to project and try to try to understand how the earth system might respond yes. to increasing carbon dioxide and other you know forcing factors yes but none of those projections considered ice shelf since right. no cement f f five models um ink 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 ice shelf cavities mm -hmm. they just fill th th them in with land and they do that because it's computationally expensive to have the uh, cavities and the, the cavities tend to be quite small on the yeah. scale of the global model right yeah so, so the small you can't represent them really yeah um, and also some of the smallest ice shells are are the ones that melt the fastest right do yeah. they tend to have, do these cement models tend to have representations of the kind of average freshwater flux, you know, out into the ocean? No, Not so, so I understand what they do is instead of including an ice sheet um, component, um, they just say, this is Antarctica. This area is an ice sheet. The albedo is different than any other continent. And when the snow deck goes above some specified maximum, all of the extra snow just gets dumped into the... Um, in, to the, the the nearest ocean cell okay. as their fresh water flux, and so mm. the models in that setup uh, they will conserve mass and fresh water and salt, mm. but it isn't a very realistic um, depiction of an ice sheet and it certainly isn't one that we could make sea level rise projections based on no that's right okay so you, that explains why 
you couldn't use for longer term studies that's why you couldn't use that particular the CMIP suite to yeah. do these I guess it's not that you can't but if you want to be more realistic you need to include the ice the land ice the ground yeah. ice and you exactly. need to include the dynamics of that process if you yeah. want to do a better job at forecasting what the uh, sea level is going to do exactly. in the future I mean I would imagine I'm not a sea level expert so you can tell me if I'm if I'm wrong but I guess the CMIP models they probably do a good job at the just thermal expansion part of, yeah. the, of the water. They can get that component of yeah, it. Yeah, but that's a very small component. Is it? Is it small? I thought it was... At the moment, oh, no. it's, it's about 15%. But once Antarctica really gets going okay. and Greenland gets going... Um, the, 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 the thermal expansion in turn will be so small, nobody will really care about it. Oh anymore, my so. gosh. <clears throat> so that's a terrifying future, the one in which the thermal expansion component of sea level rise Doesn't really is matter. so tiny yeah. <laughs> that you can ignore it, and it's really well, about all the... I wouldn't <laughs> say you can, ig you can ig ig ignore it, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's more or less linear and it's it doesn't have an ice sheet behind the bit just waiting to disintegrate so waiting to disintegrate and collapse into the ocean and exactly. add, yeah, add more and more sea level rise to the system. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that's the big context. The context was yeah. looking at sea level rise. rise in the so context this is a very small dynamic. step of model development and model simulations to get a better um, understanding of sea level rise. Right, yeah, yeah. okay. And um, what were some of the specific kind of science questions for your thesis? You know, you had this model development and this comparison, but were you able to use it to, in that big context, was there a specific question you were attacking? Yes, so, so, so it was kind of um, of, the f of the philosophy do these experiments and see what jumps out at us. And one of the things that really jumped out was um, in these in these um, future projection simulations, um, the, the reduction in sea ice formation as winters get warmer um, cause the sea surface to f to freshen since when sea ice forms it spits out salt yeah they call and it so brine reduction yeah yeah and so if sea ice isn't f isn't f forming as f fast um the surface will beef rusher right and this yeah. also okay. then stratifies the water column and so the warm bottom 
layer of circum polar deep water, which uh, is is in the in the deep ocean. It's a fair bit warmer than the surface in the oceans around Antarctica. Um, it doesn't often access the ice shelf cavities in most regions, uh, but when it does and where it does, it causes very strong melting. And so... And that's the I've, surprising thing, because normally warm water, you expect it to float to the top. Yeah. But next to Antarctica, because the, you have the sea ice uh, formation and melting and the impact on the freshness of the water around there that you mentioned. Yeah, the so... Injection, that dense, keeps it salt stratified. So, yeah. So if it's sufficiently cold... Density mostly just depends on salinity. Mm -hmm. Temperature temperature becomes a small a small yeah. layer. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. If you have a kind of a narrow <coughs> temperature range, but a big salt range, or even if it's the... just really cold, mm -hmm. the isopycnals in a TS diagram are almost vertical. Yeah, temperature salinity diagram. Yeah. So if it's vertical, let's see, T is on the horizontal axis in this one? No, other way the, around. Yeah, S is on the salinity is on the horizontal axis and T is on the vertical axis. So if you say it's vertical, well, you mean that they have... It's... It, um, the density varies with salt, Yeah. but the temperature has a very small effect. So fresh water um, 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 floats and salt, salty water sinks yeah. almost regardless of temperature. temperature. Around um, Antarctica, yeah, where it's cold. Yeah. yeah, and so you're in the strange situation where the deep ocean is warmer than the <laughs> surface. And so what I found in my simulations was um, was that this production in sea ice formation causing surface surface rationing and um, stratification of the water column allowed this warm circumpolar deep water to be better preserved, it wouldn't get eroded away, it wouldn't um, lose all of its heat to the atmosphere um, in the deep mixed, mixed, mixed layers. And so all around the continental shelf of Antarctica, there was bottom warm, warm, warm thing, um, mm -hmm. and, and 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 ice shelf melting went went up, um, which could ultimately be tied back to a reduction in sea ice, and so, so this um, these were under the increased CO two scenarios. Right, so you increase atmospheric CO two, 
Warmer winters. Warmer winters. So you then less sea ice. Less sea ice formation. So that makes it for, for fresh fresher, surface. Right. Stratif stratified water column, less vertical mixing. Less mixing. Yeah. So the so, so the warmth at the bottom of the bottom layer doesn't get mixed away mm -hmm. and can kind of pile up a bit more yeah and then that warmer bottom water on the continental shelf melts the ice so we can get up onto the ice and melt the ice um, shelf <laughs> yes <laughs> so it's kind of like a like a like a five-stage um, process um, where sea ice impacts ice shelves um, yeah, with pretty... the ocean as kind of the intermediate um, um, layer. It's pretty fascinating. That's a really coupled... That's an example of a really coupled system, you know, the ocean, ice, atmosphere. Mm -hmm. They're all feeding back into each other, doing, mm -hmm. doing stuff relative to each other, and producing effects that you might not necessarily expect if you were just thinking about one component or the yeah. other. So that sort of work is really at the boundary of us trying to understand the climate system, mm -hmm. <laughs> those, those interfaces between the different parts of the system. So that's really cool. So that's, um, and I imagine it's related to what you're working on here at Bass because I know you all are uh, also thinking about what's happening inside a cavity. Yeah. Uh, uh, inside the cavity, the uh, ice, under ice cavities around Antarctica. Um, do you want to say a little bit about that? But I know it's just kind of started, so it's yeah. really preliminary. But. So, so the project I'm a part of is, uh, is, um, focusing on one ice shelf. It's called the Filchner um, um, Rani ice mm -hmm. shelf. It's the se second biggest in Antarctica yeah. by area. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's the one. It's in the Atlantic sector. Yeah. You know, if you were to go, go from the UK and get in that ship and uh, just put yourself going in, yeah straight down pretty south. much more or less yeah put yourself in the Atlantic S and go straight down slightly to the west yeah. of the UK yeah um, but it's so big it's hard to miss it like yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's right and it's got the peninsula on one side the Antarctic Peninsula yes on one side and then it's uh, got the Weddell Gyre you know the large large Weddell Gyre kind of right in front of it yes that's yeah. right yeah okay so you're making or you're, you're developing a model that includes some of the under ice cavity and some of the processes there yes so I'm um, configuring the regional ocean model MITGCM um, in a what else C setup um, we'll look at s some ocean sea ice ice shelf interactions. Look at at that inter interconnected system again, mm -hmm. and 
and then kind of the ultimate goal of this project is to also consider ice sheets so, so I'm working with um, another postdoc Sebastian Rossier in Newcastle um, Seb is an ice sheet modeler and so t and so t together we'll be setting up um, a, f a fully coupled um, simulation where ice sheet dynam dynamics and and ice shelf dynamics are also considered instead of just assuming that the ice shelf always remains the, the same mm -hmm. shape. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. and that's a tricky problem, isn't it? And I've heard a little bit, I've heard Dan Goldberg talk about yeah. this a little bit, where, you know, if you've got an ice shelf that starts melting, then all of a sudden there's an extra grid cell. Yeah. And, you know, like, and the grid cell, your numerical model grid cell shapes need to change in response yes. to that. And yes, exactly. Often in ocean modeling, we're, we're usually pretty happy with just a fixed grid where you don't have a grid, you know, shifting around all the time. Yeah. Um, except for like, I guess there's this, you know, dead star system where you add extra fresh water throughout the water column. But yeah, and everything. Uh, other than yeah. that, we kind of typically like fixed volume. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so this sort is of very challenge. much on the boundary of model develop development and it's a it's a prob it's a problem which a lot of different groups around the world are looking at because oceans and ice sheets are sort of the last to remain um, Earth system model components, which, 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 uh, which haven't been cu coupled, hmm. or are only just starting. Right, and I guess sometimes the, the, in addition to the technical challenge, for some problems, I guess the usual assumption is, oh well, the ice. You know, shelf is going to change slowly relative to the rest of the system, mm -hmm. so we're we'll relatively just say safe leaving it still. fixed. Yeah, and that can work as an approximation. I think I get the sense. Yeah, but you know, if we you're want to improve on that. if you're studying like the observational period, it's mm -hmm. it's going to okay assumption um, in most re regions, uh, but but in order to to get reliable projections of sea level rise, we're going to to need uh, these two sorts of models to be able to talk to each other. Yeah, for sure. That's exciting stuff. I mean, it's scary stuff, like you said. There are ice sheets kind of waiting to disintegrate and waiting to, you know, yeah, you just sort of um, the, uh, the ocean. You just sort of compartmentalize it, really. You yeah. just, you think of it as like an in, 
interesting scientific question, but you don't let yourself really think about what the implications of the f of the f of the f of the f of the of the of the future that you're studying yeah. are going to be for your f for your family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's you do have to do a bit of that, don't you? Because otherwise, you could really go crazy. You could really yeah. drive yourself nuts if you didn't do. And it's not to say you can think about those implications sometimes, and it probably is healthy to do that every now and then. Yeah. But if you did it every day, like as a normal part no. of your everyday job, that you would be very intense. You wouldn't last long in the job, and we would never get projections of sea level rise. Hmm. I mean, going back to doc to doctors, doctors talk about compassion fatigue hmm. when they're um, working with sick or even dying patients and over time they sort of lose the ability to empathize um, with these situations since they just couldn't do their job if they allowed it to affect the, the, them emotionally yeah. every single day. And so yeah. I think in a way climate scientists um, also get some compassion fatigue. You know, a big ice shelf starts breaking off and we all get really excited because it's it's really cool and you know it's 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 interesting scientifically mm. to see what it'll do yeah because um, you get excited about the physical system yeah and the scale of that and the complexity of it and the, the beauty of that and i relate to that a lot I relate to, you know, weather forecasters getting excited about hurricanes. Yeah. I understand where they're coming from. You know, they're obviously yeah. they're obviously not excited about the destruction and devastation, but they're excited about look at this planet we live on, look at the stuff it does. Look look at look yeah. at this gigantic storm that's way, way bigger than a lot of countries yeah. that you know, exist on this rapidly rotating planet. And an ice sheet which is falling apart is way more interesting than an ice shelf, which is stay stable. I mean, it's sort of, um, it's so, so sort of shame, shameful to admit it, but it is, you know? <laughs> it is exciting, yeah, totally. Uh, from that perspective, from that scientific, you know, yeah. detached, uh, somebody who's just interested in the physical system, you know. Yeah, I, I really I admire. That being said, I really admire. There are climate scientists who do put themselves out there a lot more, and they put themselves in touch with. No, here are what the real human costs of climate change yeah. are going to look like. Yeah. You know, they are kind of touching that third rail all the time, and they, they, that must be 
emotionally charged for them, but they yeah. find a way to navigate it. They find yeah, a way to, to push through it. Um, so I, I really, I really appreciate when a scientist, you know, in a public talk, uh, talks about their kids and their grandkids, and they, mm. you know, I've seen. So Emily Schuckberg does this sometimes, where she'll show a graph of you know, temperature increase or sea level rise, yeah. and she will put pictures of like her kids and her grandkids, uh, her potential, you know, possible future grandkids, and like, yeah. well, if you, you know, by the by, twenty one hundred. Yeah, that makes it suddenly, 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 very real. Yeah. Yeah. So like the effects of climate change are already here, and. You know, it's just going to continue, and by the time like her kids and my kids are old people, it'll really mm -hmm. be here. It'll really, it'll be you know, really clear in terms mm -hmm. of how we understand the climate system right now. And they're going to have to uh, live in that that world based on the kind of choices we're making right now. Uh, will determine what kind of world they're going to live in. Yeah. And it's it it's terrifying to think about that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm. We have a relatively short window, kind of like right now, to do something yeah, about it. Yeah, and look what we're doing and, instead. And yet everything politically, just at the wrong moment, in yeah. some ways, has totally fallen apart. You know, we thought we were maybe getting some momentum, and, st yeah. and maybe we still are. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic. You know, I want to be. I want to put a little disclaimer out there as I'm saying all of this, that like I'm a physical scientist. I don't know that much about the the politics and economics yeah. side of it and the social side of it and where it's going to go. So I'm veering away a little bit from making it. This is not a professional prediction I'm making. This is a personal yeah. observation and a personal feeling of yeah. like, I thought we were, had momentum yeah. towards meaningful kind of change in addressing this question. Mm -hmm. And it, it freaks me out that um, some of that seems to be collapsing. You know, I hope it's mm -hmm. not. I hope, it, I hope those agreements are going to still work and, you know, maybe the economics of it will save us yeah. in some way in terms of the cheap energy, just yeah, clean energy is just getting cheaper and cheaper and eventually becoming more competitive than dirty energy. But uh, yeah, so this is to the, this is the danger of me venturing into that territory of like thinking about what it's actually going to do and what society's going to do. Because like exactly. you said, if you yeah. lived in this space, it would freak you out. Mm -hmm. and it would, How would you do your work? How would you then live? So... I try to touch, I'm rambling a little bit, but you know, I, I try to touch some of those social issues and issues about the future every now and then, but I do ultimately need that safe place to back into. Of you like, do. I'm just going to think about how the ocean responds, and I'm just going to think about the cool physics of yeah. you know, water on a rotating planet, which I love. Uh, and that, I'm just going to do that today. Water. Gonna, <laughs> it I'm, sends you know. shivers down my spine. Water on a rotating planet. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I'm, I'm right it there great. with you. Yeah. It really, it, it does some cool stuff. Um, so it, it's useful, I guess, that we do have that, that space to retreat back into. We can just pretend we're mathematicians for a time and just retreat back into yeah. that, that world. But yeah, the folks who are working on the policy stuff and who are yeah, working I don't on know. It, they're just in I it. I don't know. They're just in it every day. Like how they can stay sane, really. Yeah, uh, yeah they must have some... Uh, yeah, I sh we should talk to some policy folks and to get yeah. their perspective on that. Like, how do, you, how do you do that? How do you keep a level head and how do you stay... Yeah. Uh, like you said, sane and uh, together, and mm -hmm. or do you just you know cry yourself to sleep at night, Every which would, night. would be an understandable response. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I understand why you might have that. Yeah. Um, well, as we're kind of wrapping up here, because it's getting yeah. close to kind of lunch and stuff, is and it um, yeah, barbecue um, time almost. It is. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so, I wanted to ask. This is a question I stole from another podcast, but okay. I, I like it. Um, and, uh, so I'm going to ask two questions, you know, one of them is what's something you love about your job and your work and what's something you 
really hate about your job and your work. It doesn't have to be this job at Bass. It could just be like the field of mm. research and your pathway through it so far. Mm. So it's nice to have that kind of love hate. Can I give the same answer for love and hate? Yeah, that's interesting. Model development, <laughs> <laughs> because it's so much, so much, so much fun, and it's always different, and you learn so much. At the same time, it can be really stress, 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 stressful. I mean, coming in, 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 coming in to work a lot of days. You know, I come in the door and my I'm wondering if. Um, my simulation that I started over overnight ran, or if something went wrong, and I'll need to start f fixing some other problem. And as I'm coming up the, the stairs, like I start my uh, my pulse starts racing, and I. <laughs> Um, and What's it's it it's all about a moment when you switch 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 on your computer and log on to the super computer and um, look at the results and once you know one way or another. Um, it's so it's okay you relax over over time but coming in every day is still a stress a stress a stressful couple of minutes but uh today was a bit very good day i came in and i i disc i discovered um my simulation um, comp 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 completed the entire observational period without dying. Nice. So, so, so I've you didn't just, forget any commas anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, <laughs> just done um, an entire simulation with. This model for the first time, and uh, the sea ice more or less be 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 um be paved. Nice. So yeah, cool. Yeah, it's one of the good days, and it's mostly good days when you love model development but yeah. there's some not so good days for sure mixed yeah. in there too yeah i think i have the hardest time dealing with if i've just forgotten like i'm kind of joked about forgetting a comma somewhere uh -huh. i have the hardest time with like if i've done that and the job is set you know waiting in the queue for a little while yeah. and i've just made some silly little it, editing error yeah. like that and yeah. like Sorry, you waited on the queue to run for 10 hours, but yeah. you forgot one comma, so I'm just going to completely give up and, cra yeah. and crash entirely. Yeah, I have a harder time dealing with, with, with that. Uh, uh, I think I might, 
I tend to be too optimistic, I think, in terms of like, I assume, I kind of assume that things are going to work out. Oh, I'm so kind of well past that stage. I assume everything, everything, everything will go wrong and I'm pleasantly surprised when it doesn't. Yeah, well, it's not so much, a, it's not that I'm surprised, I guess. I'm not surprised by errors. <laughs> You're like, oh, this again. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised yeah. by it. I guess I just mean, for whatever reason, emotionally, I tend to think, oh, it's probably going to work, right? It's, it'll be fine, right? It's probably going to work. And then s- sometimes when it doesn't, it's not that I'm surprised, but yeah. I'm just emotionally frustrated by like, yeah, this again. I did this to myself again. I got my, <laughs> I got my hopes up. And, like, even though I've been through it a thousand times, I think, I think that might just be where I need to be. I'm like just assuming like it's going to work out. Uh, it needs a little push. Yeah. You, know, you push it here, you push it there, and it's going to do something that will be mm-hmm. fine and useful because I don't think I could do edge joint modeling otherwise because it can be so fussy. Yeah, <laughs> you just, like, okay. Have to, like, yeah. You just have to, that's my coping strategy anyway. Mm. You, you, need, you need emotional coping strategies for programming. Optimism and, and is for, your coping strategy. Yeah, yeah it is. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, great. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to do it. It's going to do something. And if not, you just need to turn some knobs and then it'll do yeah, <laughs> what yeah. it needs to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I'm kind of um, all talked out, to be honest. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, thank yeah. you for um, thank you for doing this. Yeah. I really appreciated the time. Well, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, me too. This was a great conversation. We, um, I like how this just happened automatically you know, for us, where often I'll talk about the science stuff first and then mm-hmm. we'll lead into the personal stuff, but I like yeah. how we kind of did it other the other way, way around. around. Yeah. That, that, it kind of worked. I thought that was kind of a nice way to do it. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Doctor. Doctor Naughton. <laughs> Thanks very much. And uh, there's no formal end either. It just, you it know, like sort of <laughs> soft start and a soft end. And, and a soft kinda, end, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, did you just... <laughs> you you know, just... It's been discovered now. Right. I have double jointed elbows. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, sorry, did your that. elbow just go past where I'm used to them going? <laughs> stretch, stretch, <laughs> stretching my arm. There you have it, my conversation with Dr. Caitlin Naughton. Thanks very much for your time, Caitlin. That was really enjoyable. That thing at the end there where I was reacting, uh, that's when I learned that uh, Caitlin is double-jointed. She has hypermobility in her elbows, so her elbows can stretch uh, past where, you know, a normal pedestrian... When I say normal, I just mean boring. A boring pedestrian like me, you know, I can only extend my arms out to uh, 180 degrees, but she can just keep going. So that was uh, an interesting fact to learn. Caitlin has, again, that blog, uh, climatesite.org, a very nice blog. And you can also find her at Caitlin Naughton on Twitter. And you can look at her profile at the British Antarctic Survey website again. Um, thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. And please keep your comments coming at climatesitepod at Dan Jones Ocean. Send them my way. And, um, and, I have lots of potential guests, but if you have uh, someone you really want to hear from in our field, please let me know. I'll try to reach out and get in contact with them, and we'll see what we can arrange. So, talk to you later. Bye-bye.